It's two in the morning on Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. The onions are fried, the neon is bright, and the jukebox is starting to play. And the sign on the wall says, "In God we trust." All others have to pay, and it's two in the morning on Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. The short order cook with the mama tattoo. He's a turning. Them hamburgers slow, eggs over easy. Well, it's four in the morning on Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. <laughs> Whoops! I went into the I went into a mode here. I went into flashback. A, oh, I went into a flashback, man. Oh, wow! It I'm was back. that acid. Our and sunshine was it mm. on the roof of the Laharve Apartments? You and I. Yeah. Aren't sunshine or blotter maybe? Blotter no, maybe. Blotter. Those the, those were the days. Sacrament of the neo-American church. The sa- <laughs> I remember how you stopped me from jumping off a building one evening. Oh my God! Uh, Why does everybody want to jump off a building? I don't know. I thought I could fly. Well, it's like a cliche. I thought I could fly, but I just did have this flashback because the subject we're going to talk about today. This is Rich Buckland, by the way, with my partner Bill Mesnick. Hello. The Mighty Meds. And um, this is uh, Dig This with the Splendid Bohemians. And um, looking at Bill now on Skype, I'm reflecting back to uh, to some uh, moments of yesteryear. And uh, 1972, I remember mm. a double LP by Bobby Bear coming out called Lullabies, Legend and, uh, Legends and Lies. And it was my initial, it was my primary introduction and understanding of a gentleman called Shel Silverstein. Shel Silverstein, a, a real, well, he's he's described by Otto Penzler as a renaissance man. He, I, I think of him as a real enigma. Well, this is a career that is probably without parallel in a number, for a number of reasons. Uh, he was, he was defiant. He was the writer of children's books. Yes. Including a, uh, was it a song called Fuck Kids or was it a book Fuck called Fuck Em. Fuck but, Em. But he also was known for another version called Fuck Kids. Well, I Which think doesn't mean fuck kids. Fuck kids. I, I think what he yeah. meant was the hell with them because he's actually being witty. Yeah, no, witty. He, he was not a child molester. No, being witty in his Silverstein kind of, this is a guy that, that, had a voracious sex life, from what we understand. Just as yeah, he, had a, a, he claims to have fucked uh, thousands of women. Thousands of women, and uh, never married. Never married. Wrote some. But did father some children? Yes, yes, yes. And had a uh, this guy had an appetite for life, for all creative life. But um, this is the author of the Giving Tree. Yes, can you believe it? The Giving it's, Tree. And a boy named Sue. So how do you even begin 
with that knowledge, how do you even begin to understand Sheldon, Allen, <laughs> Silverstein? Now, nice I, Jewish boy from Chicago. From Chicago. Uh, well, maybe Chicago is one of the answers because Chicago has produced a lot of tough-minded uh, artists. They're artists, but they're at the same time, uh, you know, gritty and uh, sort of no no bullshit. Well, when I think of Chicago artists, of course, I initially think of the Chicago blues artists, black and white, and the white guys yeah. that came out of there, Paul Butterfield, Mike Bloomfield, Barry Goldberg, Elvin Bishop. Yeah, these The were, writers, right? Nelson Algren. Nelson yes. Algren, absolutely. Uh, John Prine is known John for Prine. his Chicago with Steve Goodman. Steve, um, uh, uh, David Mamet. David Mamet, who wrote Things Change, the movie screenplay with Shel Silverstein. Right, and that's what I'm trying to figure out all of these contacts, how he, you know, these these cross-sections, you know, of people that he knew and worked with. Well, I think back in... in, in was it Hefner, maybe, that was the hub? I think so, because he spent a lot of time at the Playboy Mansion. Exactly. And I think much like artists of the day, you made multiple connections at the, Playbo at the Playboy Mansion. It was a networking hotbed. Yeah, and maybe that's where the thousands of women... Yeah, exactly. Cos Cosby spent a lot of time. I was just going to say, Cos <laughs> Bill Cosby, I'm sure their paths crossed multiple times. Yes. Uh, but it was known for, for as a networking hotbed, and you didn't... Uh, I've heard stories of comics going there who really had no interest in meeting women. They were happy in their little relationships or whatever. They weren't looking for any... Uh, they weren't looking for drugs they weren't looking for sex. They were looking to make contacts sure. for their career. Why I'm specifically thinking of comedians at this time is because uh, I heard Rickles tell a story once about meeting so many young comics. And Rickles wasn't a Playboy Mansion kind of guy. But he, but would he was a steady married he guy. He was a steady married guy who before that was hanging out with multiple hookers. Um <laughs> Which he himself admitted. I mean, you know, he said he didn't know any girl who wasn't named Laverne or Boom Boom until he was 35 <laughs> years old, and then he met Barbara. But he spoke about the networking uh, a portrait of the mansion. And yeah, I think Shel Silverstein came from that culture where he was, his appetite was so large and his gifts were so large, there wasn't anyone he would meet or talk to that would suggest something that he could not creatively seemingly accommodate. And this went throughout his entire career until he passed away of a heart attack at 68 years of age. And in terms of his art, you know, it was Hefner who, you know, in 57, he, um, Shell became one of the leading cartoonists in Playboy. And that's probably, uh, you know, I mean, The Giving Tree, you know, is a child's book, but that drawing style of his, which he claims he was not influenced by Thurber or um, Steinberg or th those other guys who have a similar kind of 
line drawing style as himself but because he said I, I didn't see any of those until I was 30 years old but he produced 23 installments for Playboy called Shel Silverstein Visits and this is Hefner sort of would dispatch him around the world and he would have a sketchbook and he would uh, put out these uh, little bits for the for the uh, magazine that were eventually compiled in a book and um and that's where I think most people first became aware of him. Yeah, yeah. But you have to be multiply impressed because you come out of theater. You studied yeah. theater at Yale. This guy had a remarkable theater career. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, I mean, he was all over the place. Um, as you mentioned, he wrote the screenplay of... Uh, Things of, Change. Uh, Things Change. But he was also, it says here... And this is what actually how we came upon the idea of, of doing Shel Silverstein. I found this old record of Gene Shepard's at, at this record store, and Shel Silverstein did the cover and wrote the, the, the liner notes in the back. It turns out Gene Shepard was also from Chicago. Now let us, for and, those who may not be uh, acquainted, there's the, oh, yeah, country, please, go ahead. there's the country singer Gene Shepard, who country music fans and fans of all forms of music know. And right. then there was Gene Shepard, the radio personality and storyteller, who would tell yes. these magnificent stories. You introduced me to Gene Shepard and his book, In God We Trust. And he, he most people know him from the Christmas story. The, Christ, the movie Christmas Story, where he narrates yeah. and wrote uh, right. with Darren McGavern and that magnificent cast. It is a his childhood I, memoir. Right, which he portrays and always suggested was the truth. Um, and we used to listen to, you were very influenced by Gene Shepard. Yes, and it's, I found out that in January 1959, he uh, produced, co-produced a play. He staged with Shel Silverstein, Gene Shepard, and Herb Gardner at the New York's Orpheum <laughs> Theater on 2nd Avenue. Herb so, Gardner. And then he went on to write a hundred, more than a hundred one-act plays. Isn't that astounding? It's astounding. Crazy. It, it is crazy. Very prolific. And his storytelling skills uh, translated to country music, evidently, as Johnny Cash became aware of him and out of nowhere decided on his game-changing, for the only term that comes to mind at this moment, record, Folsom Prison, he puts on a song that is completely... Uh, it is not indicative of anything you would suggest Johnny Cash would do. Let's go to Boy Named Sue. Hey, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much for my me, just his here old guitar and a half-filled bottle of booze. And it wasn't just that he run and hid, but the meanest thing that old man did is before he left, he went and named me. Huge, huge hit that won the Grammy. One wins a Grammy award. Um, he also wrote the Unicorn for the Irish Rovers. For, yes, yes. Did you know that? Yes, and to think that he made that leap and was able to translate his skills to that culture is is astonishing, as well. But going back to, he was not a performer. 
So oh, no. I, I was watching this clip of him on the original Johnny Cash show, and Johnny gave him some pretty significant time, and he did uh, Boy Named Sue with Johnny. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's almost unwatchable because here you got this, this bald guy with the beard, and he's shouting it out. He almost, can hardly get a note out. He can hardly get out a note. Someone compared him to Tom Waits, but I think that's unfair to Tom Waits. Oh, thank you. Please, <laughs> if you listen to, you know, if you listen to Heart Attack and Vine and suggest there's any connection between the vocal skills of Shel- Silverstone. The and piano Waits. has been drinking. Oh, God. That's some, that, that's some incredible stuff. Silverstone could never articulate his art in, in that method. But no, but but through the voices of these other artists, you hear the greatness of these songs absolutely. and the uh, the the brilliance of the comedy lyrics that he was able to write. And you've got comedy lyrics, and then you've got great storytelling, as indicated by this Bobby Bear record. And I can understand where country artists were enamored with him. And, and I don't know how he became. Uh, connected with country music. I mean, that's another enigma. It is another enigma. And I don't know. Evidently, Johnny Cash began to hear of him through other country artists and how Silverstein made his way into the country circle. Did Johnny Cash ever go to the Playboy Mansion? I don't think. (laughs) Probably did. What a great question. Maybe before June. What a great question. Did Johnny Cash ever hang out at the Playboy Mansion? Well, when Johnny was doing his pills and he was doing his womanizing, I guess he was capable of anything. Absolutely. And he was. I think think, um, uh, Shell's longest relationship with a musical group was with Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. Yes, yes. Talk about, talk about, you know, Cover the Rolling Stone is iconic song. Everyone knows it. That's Shell's song. But talk about, because you told me something kind of poignant about your father and his uh, reaction to Sylvia's mother. Sylvia's mother says Sylvia's busy, too busy to come to the phone. Sylvia's mother says Sylvia's trying to start a new life of her own Sylvia's mother says Sylvia's happy So why don't you leave her alone And the operator says 40 cents more On the next Pop loved to listen to AM radio with me. And we'd be driving in the car and we'd have on WABC. And some things, like, some things would come on. He would completely, in that World War II fashion, that's not, that's not Benny Goodman. 
But other things he had great appreciation of. And through the years, I could hear how he heard certain things. The first time he heard Aaron Neville's Tell It Like It Is. I love that He had a tear in his eye. And that's when I knew he got this stuff. But then again, that's the man that bought me Jackie Wilson's Lonely Teardrops when I'm seven years old (laughs) out of nowhere and introduces me to a variety of Latin music and uh, big band music. But we're driving one afternoon. We're driving, in fact, to Corvettes, which is where on Friday evenings we'd once a week be able to get a record album, and he'd take us over to Corvettes. And one day, Sylvia's mother comes on the radio, and he hears this song, and he goes, Christ, I love this song. (laughs) And he began to put on the radio regularly to hear Sylvia's mother. Interesting. And I listened to it a great deal lately when we were discussing doing this podcast. And it's almost an impossible song to cover. But then I discovered that the one cover, and it's so beautifully done, is by John uh, John Bon Jovi. No kidding. John Bon Jovi. And I'm thinking, this is a great song. And the operator says 40 cents more for the next three minutes. This is a this is a climactic moment in song that you usually associate with film. Something yes. snaps, something happens on that telephone, and it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. And so, yeah, every time I think of Sylvia's mother or I hear it, I, I think of my father, and that's a real gift. Yeah, and you think about the the versatility. He wrote Ones on the Way for Loretta Lynn. Yes, for Loretta Lynn. I mean, you always think of Loretta Lynn writing her own songs, right? But uh, Ones on the Way is, is like emblematic Loretta Lynn song. But he also understood Loretta Lynn was a was a gangster in country music, was a mall. She was not within the norm. They said to have her hair done, Liz flies all the way to France. And Jackie's seen in a discotheque doing a brand new dance. And the White House social season should be glittering and gay. But here in Topeka, the rain is a falling, the faucet is a dripping, and the kids are a bawling. One of them a toddling, and one is a crawling, and one's on the way. I'm glad that Rockwell Welch just signed a million dollar pact, and Debbie's out in. She's singing about birth control. She's singing about things nobody wants to hear a woman in country music, especially at that time, sing about. Today, it's even difficult material to tread on because of all the different changes in pro-life or people screaming anti-life or whatever their choices seem to be, or people on the Oscars, on the uh, Gold Globes, proclaiming this is so important. She was going, this is important back in the day. And yes. Shel Silverstein understood what her identity was and was able to construct something for her right on the money. One's on the way. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the enigma, the enigma remains. 
yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's just pretty astounding. But you know, my association with um, uh, with him, of course, I, I, that Bobby Bear album is is indelible in my head. But um, one of the interesting things about the the variety of work he did is also that um, in almost famous. You've got cover of the Rolling Stones. So here is his contributions to movie music. Yes. Almost famous cover of the Rolling Stone. Thelma and Louise, the ballad of Lucy Jordan, really right. one of those beautifully and horribly underrated songs. Uh, in Coal Miner's Daughter, One's on the Way, Dustin Hoffman's Harry Kellerman and Why Is He Saying These Terrible Things About Me? Two songs. And that's where he met Dr. Hook. That's where he met Dr. Right. 1971. There you go. There you go. You just hit it. You just hit it. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking to myself, when you are thinking of the narrative of great careers, of careers that compose this outstanding tree with all these different limbs and these branches are huge. This is one of the most successful trees that was ever able to branch out and blossom yeah. fully. He realized his dreams or his ambitions for just about everything he attempted. And every child practically in this country has grown up loving the, the giving tree. Yeah, no two ways about it. So, you know, how do you reconcile fuck em with the giving tree? Well, that's Shel Silverstein. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you couldn't have uh, you couldn't have put it any better. That was Shel Silverstein, and um, forever, I, forever for me, it's it's a storytelling genius that I will I will cherish because somewhere in my mind, it's always been that song was an incredible influence on me. It's four in the morning on Saturday night at Rosalie's Good Eats Cafe. And that just about said everything about a uh, somewhere that I had been. And it doesn't have to be in the country. It can be in the city. It can be in your own head at four in the morning, laying in your bed, thinking about a variety of climates that are, that are disrupting you. Uh, he had that ability. He had that ability to poetically impose his will upon you. And he did it in so many different genres. And always with some humor. Yes, always with some humor. And the stories he tells are particularly the ones that translate to country music. Of course, it makes perfect sense. That's what country music is all about. It's about, it's about telling a story. Um, and if you want to hear his voice where he actually uh, did pretty well, which is, is um, Dr. Demento. This was a favorite on Dr. Demento's radio show. Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout yes. would not take the garbage would out. Would not take the garbage out. And you can you can find that. That on, is him. You can, right. You can find that on YouTube. And it is a Dr. Demento favorite. And when you hear it, you'll understand how he even made the translation to Dr. Demento. <laughs> so uh, although he never had a hit record where he utilized his own vocal capacities, this is still a novelty recording that has gotten great acclaim over the yeah. over the years. So we salute Shel Silverstein and uh, rest well, my friend. Rest well, my friend. Great career and uh, busy life. Busy life. Untimely passing. I say that because I just turned sixty eight. So if I have to say untimely passing. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, 
it's all good. It's all good. I, I've really enjoyed this uh, this look back on Shell. I thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. And we hope that you have enjoyed this particular journey with the splendid Bohemians, Bill Mez Mesnick and Rich Buckland. Bill in California, Rich in Florida. We do our thing, and we shall be back soon with another episode of Dig This. Adios. Bye-bye, Bill. Well, we're big rock singers. We got golden fingers, and we're loved everywhere we go. That sounds like us. We sing about beauty, and we sing about truth. At $10,000 a show, right? We take all kind of pills to give us all kind of thrills, but the thrill we never know is the thrill that'll get you when you get your picture on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. Wanna see my picture on the cover? Rolling Stone. Wanna buy five copies?